when you took out that script or that pitch, though, like, did people, were they like, whoa, what are you trying to combine? Or did they just get it ready and go with it right away? We pitched it without a script, you know. So we, 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 we played, like, Mary Jane Girls and, like, Earth, Wind, and Fire. We just went in, put a playlist, and just pitched the whole story. So it's like, because we pitched it without a script and, like, we pitched it with just a lot of 70s R&B and 80s R&B, people kind of filled in the blanks when we were pitching it. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a series of eerie events thrusts an unlikely trio onto the trail of a nefarious government experiment in director Joel Taylor's sci-fi mystery comedy, They Clone Tyrone. The film tells the story of Fontaine, Slick Charles, and Yo-Yo, who discover a cloning conspiracy and embark on a mission to save their neighborhood. In addition to They Clone Tyrone, Taylor's other directorial credits include episodes of the series, Twenties, Boomerang, and A Guy, A Girl, and Their Monster. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Taylor spoke with director Jordan Vogt-Roberts about filming They Clone Tyrone. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hi. Hello. Thank you for being here. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for coming out. Um, I hope and assume you like that movie as much as I did. Um, My first question for you, I mean, like, there's so many things I love about this movie. It's such a genre bending, kind of like, it's so idiosyncratic and the way you guys write and the way you directed it, I think is so powerful. But it does something that I think so few movies do where... Uh, I don't even know other times that I've seen it where the title itself and the movie itself are kind of this really bizarre just setup and punchline that you don't even see coming because you're watching the whole movie and you, you're you not even thinking about the fact that the main character is not named Tyrone, right? You're just going along with it and it's like, oh, Fontaine, Fontaine. And then at the tag at the very end pays off the the title of the whole movie as like a, a joke in itself. And like, that's such a unique thing that you just don't see happening. And I'm just like, what is the genesis of that? It feels like the type of shit where me and my friends would get high in, in film school and be like, man, wouldn't it be crazy if like, this was all just a big like uh, joke about the title? <laughs> I wish it was, I wish it was deeper than that. You know, uh, it was, it was about, it was about as sophomore-ish as as that like we could name the main character Tyrone uh but then what where would the fun be in that i think before we even had a story and it was it was called Reagan era when we were like we hadn't pitched it yet and the joke title was they clone tyrone and everybody was like man you got to clearly you got to call it they clone it's tyrone great title. i was like no one's going to take it seriously it was like why should they i was like you're right why should they take it serious um so we called it They Clone Tyrone. And the very next thing we thought was like the main character can't be called Tyrone. And we didn't necessarily know uh, in what in what way Tyrone would appear in the movie. But I think we kind of decided pretty early, like, I'm not even joking. Like, we decided it was one of the first things was like, all right, the main character obviously is not named Tyrone. 
and you kind of reverse engineer your way. So we started, you know, it's the low hanging fruit, you know, you, you, Frog was Tyrone, the, 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 the wino was Tyrone at one point, and then the obvious answer is the old man is Tyrone, and then it's like, nah, that's a little, what's the most like obtuse way to introduce him? And then eventually it kind of became, it's a complete like non sequitur dude. Um, and then once we kind of said it should be someone random, I think it was, we were just kind of married to that. I mean, one of the things that I think is so remarkable is like, I think you're just so invested in the movie and you're going along with it and you're like along for this journey that you're just truly not even thinking about the fact that that is the case where it's like right in front of you the entire time, which, which makes the, the tag at the end, I think that much more potent and pop. But was there ever time in testing? Cause that was my experience. You know, I saw it early on. I saw, you know, I've seen the final version and it, it you know, it just sneaks up on you. And that's what makes it so satisfying. Did you ever have audiences and test screens or whatever be like, um, what the f- this this guy's not named Tyrone. I ain't even gonna lie. Like this is like not premeditated. Because <laughs> like this, because it absolutely like we didn't like talk about these questions beforehand at all. Um, <laughs> that was our second test screening. I mean, this might be it's it's not a lot of people in here, so I'll just do the insider baseball. <laughs> like that second our, our, our second test screening um, was a virtual test screening, and it was like. A, you know, not a great experience as watching people watch your thing and like sports are on in the background and texting, you know, there's a watermark on the bottom and you still have ADR subtitles. So like they're not like reading certain lines. And the number one question out of our virtual test screening was who is Tyrone? Uh, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like I wish I was kidding. And it was, it was the probably the single most like disheartening, um, Part of the entire process was, uh, so we got the, uh, we got your screen engine results here, and uh, it seems like people are really bumping against uh, who Tyrone is. <laughs> and, you know, you naturally have to humor that note, you know, even if you don't really exactly know how to. So you, you, will, you will go through the steps to see, like, how can we elucidate Tyrone's identity? Um, and to be fair, you know, 150 people in, like, Eight people asked, you know, but that's a large percentage of 150 people to be asking who is Tyrone. And so that became like at one point in in the edit, um, actually like some serious uh, cause for concern. Um, The L.A. sequence was in jeopardy for not a long time, but a not negligible amount of time. I mean, I feel like that's super on brand. I know, I know in like my movies general, I can almost like clockwork guarantee you that my favorite things in my movies <laughs> are going to be the very first thing that the studio or <laughs> producer say, you need to cut that. This scene's too long. Get that out of there. So like the fact that that's like the origin of the movie and then they're like, do we even need this? You know, and you just end up, you end up in that place. People didn't get it. So, <laughs> uh, was there ever debate about whether that should go? Before the title card at the end, or because it comes, you know, like it goes to the titles and then it goes. <laughs> these after. are like loaded. Qu- these. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, it, uh, <laughs> we're all friends here. Um, Bobby, we're, we're friends as well. Um, <laughs> the the title actually that was something that came at the very 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 end of the process because um, the title was supposed to come like 15 minutes into the movie after he gets shot that's where it is in the script and that was actually the the byproduct of the testing um, was having to 
uh, once upon a time, he, he, she just said, you know, how about you? And but he didn't answer. And Tyrone wakes up. And so like it, it wasn't, you know, split by a, a title card. And part of that to help, you know, uh, that confusion metric from the from the test screening was experimenting with ways to break up the Glen from LA and hope you know a couple of things that we did you know big boy on the radio saying right. good morning Los Angeles I mean yeah. it was already that I think the it, first cut I saw I think it went straight into that stuff and then they call on Tyrone boom title card so yeah no the first time yeah so he he saw it when we were in director's cut like maybe five weeks in and he just shit all over it, which was great. Uh, That's not what happened, but it was no, it was good though. It was good. Uh, it was he was like, you can lose thirty minutes, easy, easy. Let's just get thirty minutes out of there. You know, it's like, uh, which uh, you know, at the time it was like probably like two twenty something. So we we ended up getting thirty minutes out. But um, <laughs> so that when 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 you saw it, it was the title was in the beginning. So it was get shot, push in on the car title then he wakes up in bed uh i'm gonna circle back to that post conversation in a second but before that i mean this is you you know you and tony your writing partner have, you know have written a ton of great stuff uh and gotten great things produced um and this was your first time stepping into the director's chair and changing that dynamic um you know, you and I talked beforehand i'm, I'm i have no doubt you talked with a lot of people i'm just curious now that you're sitting here after the fact, being able to process it where it's out in the world, what were the pieces of advice that were given to you uh, that that stuck with you most as you were making that transition and that leap? Uh, the ones that like now after the fact really resonate? Hmm. Um, I think it's usually the, the simplest ones always end up being the ones that like stick around or the ones that seem the most trite. Um, end up being the ones that like you know uh are kind of universally applicable you know i think uh a couple people said like you know even when it's even when it seems like super rough like trust the process that it'll you know there's points you like this is really trash what the fuck am i doing um and you kind of get a mild bit of depression at certain points you're like man what is going on and a lot of times it just you know it takes the process kind of you know it, working itself out for you to start to say oh okay i actually do kind of like that again because you I, I don't know I, I ended up like you know at points being like what were we thinking like you know like at every point like i was set like something goes wrong he's like this was a mistake then you're in post and something goes wrong. You're like, this is a mistake. Like, I've tricked these people. Like, <laughs> I don't know why they gave us this money. And then, you know, <laughs> and, you know, just through sheer iteration, just over and over and over again, you know, you start to, um, you know, okay, actually, I don't hate this like I thought I did. You know, and it's things that you were excited about because I think that's probably the other thing uh, that, when you say like, don't forget the reason that you got excited about it, you know, because it's very easy to at many points to forget. Like I did really like this. I was very excited to make this at one point. Um, you know, you get like beat down by like shooting in COVID and then like it just, you know, it, it, you you forget why you were excited 
And so I think it's, you know, that was a couple of people told me that in the beginning of like, don't forget, like you did like this when you when you pitched it. You you thought it was going to be going to be tight when you pitched it. Don't forget that now. Um, and, and, and it's true, though, you do have to like hold on to the reasons that you were excited about it. We talked about that, you know, um, especially in the get rid of 30 minutes phase of the uh, <laughs> director's cut. You know, I think it's trying to preserve the, the the tone and especially when you can't see or you ima- you're imagining what the tone will be like once it has the film scan back and it's, we, we put it on, on the film print and we've got the score in and the VFX are done but you can't see any of that in the beginning and you're like this ain't feeling like I thought it would be feeling you know and so I think keeping you know just keeping that in the back of my mind uh, like fortunately like you know having people around that was encouraging uh, you know that proved to be I think the most salient by the end uh, I mean <clears throat> I think what you just hit on of like don't forget the reason why you're doing this I, I know that rings true for me. Like, you know, it just, you have to be able to like, when you wake up in a panic attack in the middle of the night or when you're tired as hell in the morning and going to set, like within a split second, I think you need to be able to like, remember like, why am I doing this? You know, like what, why did I set out to make this movie? And, uh, you know, not some long, crazy answer of like, Oh, it was a paycheck or whatever, you know, like, and so, you know, you talk about that, but like, while you were making it and going into it and when you're frustrated in post, like, are you able to define like, or, or like quickly, like congeal, like what those ideas were for you, like in terms of why you were doing it, like what excited you, what the, what those like core truths that you could wake up and be like, this is why I'm doing it. Um, I mean, that's pretty hard to congeal. I think, I think creatively, um, I think creatively it's harder to congeal because it's a, so many different factors like went into like why I was excited about it, um, particularly like the tone and like making something that had, you know, the ingredients that I grew up, you know, loving in movies, you know, and, and, and wanting to make something that felt like it, you know, hybridized, you know, certain genres that I didn't see hybridized as much. Um, but I think really what it what it is too is just like the process of like making stuff with your friends you know what I mean and so it's like you you get excited just to be able to like oh, like because we had a bunch of my classmates you know like wrote it with a classmate and like our editor was one of my classmates you know a lot of people on the staff crew were classmates so I think that especially like when you're in the throes of set like that's really like part of like what keeps you, you know, excited, like waking up, like, okay, you know, I mean, we shot in COVID. So I had like my friends and family was PAs. Like, you know, I had people I grew up with with like background actors. And then the next day they would be a PA. The next day they might be doing a little help with the grips. Like, you know, it was, it was such a, um, like small kind of sequestered crew at a certain point because of when we shot it, that it's like, there was so, so much, uh, home cooking on the, you know, on the, on the uh, crew. So I think like in that sense of like, you wake up and you're like, Fah. You know, well, I think, I think, I think on like on smaller movies and, you know, like, or at least on first movies. Cause like in a lot of ways, this isn't a small movie, you know, um, <clears throat> there's the sense of like, everyone is 
banding together to like conjure and will this thing into existence, you know, and it, it is, it is like a family. And so like, I mean, it sounds like you had like a very like you know, family experience in the process of it. Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, it was like movie summer camp because, you know, the crew was in a hotel sequestered from basically December to April. And so, you know, in the first part of that, everybody had to have their, you know, their gas mileage <laughs> clocked and like it was super locked down and people brought the meals to people's doors. And then like after a certain point, a lot of people in the crew would, you know, kind of hang out in the lobby and they ended up Ken was Ken no Ken was I, I, shout out to our, our shout DP is right over there Ken saying who shot it um, and they they uh, they had like a two drink minimum per night to keep the crew from going crazy so they got super close you know like every night like the bar was just like jumping Ken like I'm going out to the bar with the boys you know um, and so I think that kind of made it like a little bit unique in that in that sense, because like they couldn't go home Saturdays and Sundays, they couldn't go home. Still had to be in sequester, so that people kind of got unusually like cool with each other, even though we had no idea what each other looked like. I mean, I think that's really unique though, because normally when you have that family experience, it's like on a million dollar movie or something, you know, and it doesn't have giant movie stars and you know such sort of like complex genre bending stuff. And so the fact that you got to experience that on your first movie, but to have it be something of scale, you know, and I think that's something that has like uh, a widespread appeal is such a cool, unique, you know, thing that you were able to go through. Um, but one of the things I obviously, and I think that everyone loves about it is the way that it blends tones and genres, which is something that like Hollywood is, I think, more and more open to as there's been more successful, successful things like that. But traditionally, like playing with tones, they get very cautious and is it this or is it that? Well, you can't, you can't combine these two things. And so earlier you talked about the things that like, when you were growing up inspired you or sort of, you know, inspired this, like what, what are those touchstones to you? Oh, for for this, it's it kind of like three buckets. You know, there was like a plot inspiration in a lot of ways. So you had, you know, the Truman Show, and They Live. You know, they was kind of some of the plot inspirations for sure. But I think a lot of it was like the tonal inspirations. I clearly like, you know, Superfly and the Mac, you know, the black exploitation patina. But I think really more like Big Lebowski, Jackie Brown, Boogie Nights, um, in terms of just how they blended. You know, they weren't. I wouldn't con maybe Big Lebowski, but I wouldn't consider like Boogie Nights or Jackie Brown a comedy per se. But they're super they're funny, funny as well, though. They're extremely funny. Um, and just in terms of walking that line, you know, it's something I thought was very interesting and in, like making something that you know gave me like anxiety in terms of like the execution was exciting, you know. And then when it comes to like the world building ethos, you know, you had like it follows it was a big. Um, inspiration um in terms of that temporal dissonance and you know you she got the you know the kindle reader yeah. but it's like a clamshell you're like what, is, what? <laughs> it's like, what it's, time is this yeah i mean napoleon dynamite obviously yeah. has the same uh you know kind of world building ethos um and i thought that was something that really made a lot of sense you know, with this particular story, um, especially because you're talking about a community that's kind of lost in time in a lot of ways. So, you know, having the mise-en-scene kind of reflect that uh, was something that I was like interested in. So It Follows was definitely 
doesn't seem like a similar movie in a lot of ways, but I think there's a lot of similarities between them. Great movie. David Robert Mitchell killed it. Yeah, amazing movie. Um, when you took out that script or that pitch, though, like, did people, were they like, whoa, what are you trying to combine? Or did they just get it ready and go with it right away? We pitched it without a script. You know, so we 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 played like Mary Jane Girls and like Earth, Wind and Fire. We just went in, put a playlist, and just pitched the whole story. So it's like I think in the pitch, it was like just funky. It's like the tone that like I think the the because we pitched it without a script and like we pitched it with just a lot of. 70s R&B and 80s R&B. I think people kind of filled in the blanks when we were pitching it, if that makes sense. It was like, oh, it's a mystery movie, but it sounds kind of funky. And that was kind of it, like in terms of, I think, what they were visualizing. Um, and so in some ways, it was kind of a Trojan horse a little bit. You know, I think people probably thought it skewed a little more comedic um, from the pitch. If I had to guess, but people, nobody really asked too much about like uh, the combination of tone. Um, one of the things that you were kind of getting at earlier is just like the endurance that goes into the process of being uh, a director, which, you know, even just finding time to go to the bathroom on set is difficult. Uh, and I don't think a lot of like non-directors realize just the relentlessness of having to like protect the vision all the way through. And, um, you know, you, you're right. Like, you know, I saw the director's cut and uh, very lovingly. <laughs> Because, you know, I told you, like, I don't think it's helpful when your friends see the movie and they're like, it's great. When your, your parents no, see the all. movie, oh, it's awesome. It's like, no, Speaking no, no. Of, you, my you gotta, mama you, was in the first test screening, <laughs> like straight and, and listen to the audience. Like, I don't understand. You know, like the live one. She sat in the back with my sister and watched the, like the criticism part of it. Did you want to speak up and tell them to shut up? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I was I was more just sitting there dying inside a little bit because my mama was watching this part of the process. But uh, yeah, I've never let my mom watch a rough cut. <laughs> um, but you know, I think one of the things that I did say to you, cause it was like two twenty, is I was just like, you can lose half an hour easy. You're not going to miss it. Everything in here is great. Ken's cinematography is out of control. Like there's so many great shots, uh, and there's so many great moments and you just need to like, you know, shave it down. So it's nothing but the absolute best stuff. And like, when I, when I said that to you, were you like, oh, this guy's out of his mind, or or did it did like at that point were you able to very quickly get that twenty minutes out, or how difficult of a process was that? Oh uh, no, nah, I mean like I I mean you you kind of know that I mean that's why everybody was there, you know, in terms of those kind of internal test screenings and in the first part of post. I mean it was that's what that's what you were there for. We had you know other friends of ours. We were fortunate enough to have people come and watch it and tear it up. And that's what we wanted was for people to, you know, kind of be brutally honest, but like, you know, whatever they thought they liked, they didn't like. Um, and so, you know, we, we, um, it took, it didn't take too long to get it down a decent amount. So by the end of director, director's cut, it was probably like 205. It's like 155 now, minus credit, you know, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that other 10 minutes was like <laughs> the part that was more negotiation between us and the studio, <laughs> you know, um, more haggling, horse trading, um, just to 
that was where things got a little, you know, cantankerous. <laughs> As it does. As it does. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting. Obviously, you're used to writing, you know, everything. Now you're stepping into a different role, right? <clears throat> and... You know, I find as much as I love so many of the writers I work with, filmmaking is like a living, breathing thing you're conjuring, that you're like birthing into existence. And I think that the movie like becomes the movie as you're shooting it. It continues to become the movie as you're in post. And sometimes that differs from what the original intent was in script form. And I think sometimes... Uh, writers who are very near and dear to it can can say, whoa, 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 you can't lose that because that relates to this or the theme of this thing or they're not going to get it. Whereas it's really like what the audience takes from it and it, be, it becomes a different thing in the process. And so for you, like in terms of cognitive dissonance and like being the director who has to like shape this thing now, <clears throat> but also being, you know, half of the, the team that wrote it, how difficult was that for you and not only for you in the process managing those two roles, but in terms of your relationship with Tony uh, and managing like, wait, 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 are we drifting from what it, it was intended to be? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Just talk to me about that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's that, I mean, things definitely become like concrete. <laughs> like I think like you write it and you get attached to it, especially the longer it exists before getting made, the more attached to certain things you you get. But I definitely think that, um, you know, especially like Tony, I think we we went to school, you know, for directing. So, you know, we we weren't precious. You know, we're used to writing for directors, you know. Um, and so, you know, we always used to be in a service of like, you know, the director's vision in a lot of ways, you know, like working with Capel. And so that helped us at least like, you know, preemptively have a little bit less preciousness about it, you know. Um, and I think really what happens is like the talent, like the actors are almost always coming up with better stuff than we wrote, you know, <laughs> like just they have so much, you know, that they bring to the table and they have so much like intuition, intuition in terms of like blocking and like ad living things between the lines that you, you know, it, it, you find yourself going back and like tweaking scenes as soon as you see like the, the blocking rehearsal, you know, you like you mark it and Jamie does something like we need to, and then like Tony's like, I'm already on it. And you know what I mean? And so I think that part is actually, you know, I don't know if it's, a byproduct of also directing it or, or what, but like, I think it was exciting in terms of seeing the things that, you know, Ken would see or, you know, uh, the talent would do that would like make you think of a shot a whole different way. And so it's like, it's almost like you kind of getting, you know, you're playing with house money, you're getting like free, free juice, you know what I mean? That, you wouldn't get if you were so, you know, strictly adherent to like what was on the page. And so it was relatively easy to dissociate from the script once we got into it because it, because it, it was a combination of like what the actors were bringing and just, you know, resources being different than you imagine. You know, a lot of times you don't have the money to shoot something. And so you kind of know going in, like, this might be a little ambitious, this scene, you know, the strip club scene was not supposed to be in a strip club, you know, it was supposed to be in a club, but COVID, we can only have 60 extras, but 
we needed hundreds of extras for the scene the way it was written. So certain things like that, you know, like, okay, well, if it's in a strip club, then we can use the the dance floor and the tables to fill up space. So, you you know, you don't have to reset the crowd as many times. And even then, you know, like, it's probably going to be different than the way you imagined it. And so. <clears throat> um, I mean, that kind of answers what my next question was going to be to some degree, but I'd be curious for you to dig into it. Like, you know, I think often in, in filmmaking, like it's kind of when everything goes wrong or an actor's late or prop breaks or you're losing the sun and you know, you're pie in the sky ideas of what you wanted to shoot have to get thrown out the window. And I think in that moment you like, you either really find the core truth of that moment or it's lost forever. You know, it's Indiana Jones shooting the guy in the knife fight. It's like Harrison Ford was sick and they had to get the out of Malta. Um, you know, and, and there's so many examples in film history of that happening. <clears throat> and I'm just curious about your collaboration with Ken Tsang, the DP, um, who I've worked with as well. And I know he is someone who can go in and be ultra prepared with a plan and, you know, have everything dialed, dialed in. And then he's somebody who also can respond to the light and what's going on in the moment and see what's happening and adjust. And so for you and, and your process with him, but also just in general, like it sounds like you were very open to letting the process inform the process and like letting the change come as you go. But did that start right away? Or is that something that like, did you, were you showing up to set at the beginning, super dialed in and, or, or, or was the loosening up of that something that sort of came as you went? Um, I think it, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think we, that first day, I didn't know what to expect. So <laughs> we did like three different shot lists for like, if Jamie don't like this, we're going to shoot, we're going to start over here. If he, if he ain't with that, we're going to be over here. So we shot the hotel scene first and uh, like having no idea, like, you know, I, I had met Jamie, obviously. I, I, I met him and talked to him, but it's, you know, that's a very relaxed environment versus like, how are they going to be on set? I have no idea. Um, and so we had backup plans that are backup plans in the beginning. Um, and then once everybody was that first day, Jamie was so down to earth and cool and just like, where are we going? What are we doing? Oh, I'm with it. You know, it's like, Oh, okay. And then like, once you realize like the scale is a lot bigger, but it feels very much like, you know, even the short film, like, the talking to actors part, the blocking, the shot design, everything that we did at USC, it's like the exact same thing except a much larger scale. And it and it that kind of, uh, you know, helped be open to like knowing that like Ken was like the grown up on set in a lot of ways. <laughs> like Ken kept it, he kept it moving and like went when, you know, um, when you're looking and you're trying to, you know, make the day, like having somebody like that to be so organized in terms of with the crew and like everything was boom, 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 boom. You know, that gives you more confidence to be a little more open-minded because you, you know that like you're not, you're never too far behind like where you need to be in terms of making a day. Um, like if you, if you see something and you have a completely different idea, like they were so like fast that you could, pursue it without being afraid that like this rabbit hole would blow up your day you know and so the more confidence that like and that that came pretty quickly but like the more confidence that we had like in in each other in terms of as a crew I think the more confidence we had to to start being a bit more exploratory within the scenes um 
All right, so I got one last question because I'm being told we got to wrap it up. And I want to ask you about what it's like to make it like a conspiracy theory movie in the age of objective truth dying. I want to ask you about like how you get incredible actors like that to to trust your vision as a first time director. But I'm always just really interested in the in the personal experience that a director goes through and uh and the things that people just don't really talk about because they're not salacious in interviews and they're not about celebrities and whatnot and you know like you guys poured so much into this personally professionally and um you know normally you release a movie of a theatrical thing and then there's this big sort of release you know like you're you're putting it out into the world and you guys are on a streamer which is great because Tons of people who would never think to go to the, the movies suddenly can find and discover that movie. But I've, I've talked to a lot of directors who release things on streaming or whatever, and it just is, then it's just out there. You know, you don't have that like almost that like definitive moment of like, oh, we had our premiere and our party and now it's in theaters. And then there's, there's pros and cons to both of it. But, but to me, I'm just curious, like for you emotionally, you know, like how, like you've, you've slaved, you worked your, your, your ass off, right? You've poured everything into this, and then it, so one day it's just on, on an app, <laughs> and and it's there, and people can find it. People can find it on accident, which is amazing. But how how did you now that it's out there in the world? Like how do how did you how do you cope with that? Um, it's, it's because it took so long. I mean, me, me and Tony talk about this all the time. <laughs> like people ask us this question because it's. I think that's where the cognitive dissonance starts to come in, you know, um, because in a lot of ways it feels like you're still working on a movie, you know, even though you're you're not. But, you know, just in terms of you, it's like you you never had, there was like we never really had like crazy checkpoints, if that makes sense. Like we never got officially greenlit. It was just, we were in a meeting with Ian Brick one day. We're like, are we greenlit, man? Like, what's going on? And he was like, yeah, yeah. Like, they're talking about scouting. And we're like, you never told us you were making this movie. Like, are you making this shit? Or what is, what is going on? Like, like I don't want to talk about no scout if y'all ain't making this. You know? And every point was like that. It was like, yeah, we'll probably shoot on the 3rd or something or December. But are we actually shooting on the 3rd? So when does pre-production start? Like, everything was like semi-agreed to, kind of thumbed up. And so it's like, and like, so when's post over? <laughs> like, and like we never had like a solid po- end of post. And so it's like, you you kind of, it's more like gray. Like it just bleeds, one part of the process bleeds into the other part. So you, that sense of finality never fully, like, you know, you picture like, you're like, ah, but we picture like, like 10 times, right? <laughs> like, so there wasn't like, everybody pop a bottle, we done. It's like, we ain't never done. Like, you know what I mean? Like we were making editorial changes in, you know, like we would make a sound design. Keep like, oh shit, we need one frame to move this way. So the door slam could be, you know what I mean? We was doing that all the way. It was like, how? So could we absolutely not change picture? To th- you know what I mean? <laughs> so we never fully had, the catharsis of like picture lock, great, it's done, nice, mix. Nope. So like, you're just still in that gray area, and it just feels like a gray area that just like, <laughs> you <laughs> and know? now you just exist in like that the permanently. Movie comes out right, but like it came out theatrically a week earlier, and it was like, okay, well, we gonna go to theater. It was like, oh, I looked up and it was like. It was supposed to come out on a Friday, but it actually came out Thursday. I was like, wait, it's, I can go to Alamo tonight, and I was like, it, it, it wasn't even like. I can go Friday night. It was like, I looked, I just looked on Fandango 
<laughs> and it was on, it was at Alamo a Thursday night. I was like, well, shit, I guess I'll go tonight. And I went Thursday, like 10 at night, you know, to Alamo. And it was, it, so it, it, it wasn't like, to your point, it wasn't like the, like, you kind of, but it wasn't a real full, you know, release, you know, theatrical release. So it wasn't like the world knew about it on a theatrical level. So, you know, people who were tracking it obviously could go see it and stuff. But it, 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 you were still waiting for the, the official release. So you got a little bit of the, like, oh, it's a release, you know. But then, like, it, just enough to brunt the edge off on the 21st. Came. I went to see Barbie on the 21st. You know? so I didn't even watch it on the 21st. I was like, I hadn't seen this shit literally a hundred times and so and then you know it's just a slow just a slow trickle of like you know uh, little milestones and they they kind of bleed into each other so it's definitely it, it feels like you never really kind of stopped well i hope that uh in there you have been able to find some finality and some form of catharsis like i said uh i hope everyone enjoyed it uh for anyone listening to this online check out they clone tyrone because it's incredible uh and feels like real filmmaking um and uh just in every capacity it feels like a throwback in so many ways and yet it feels so contemporary at the same time um so thank you my man and thank you, uh man. thank y'all yeah. for coming <clears throat> thank you guys Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.